Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. Over the uh, next four Sundays, these Sundays of August, we're going to be looking at the themes that are there on the front of your bulletins. And Hannah read them as the first passage of scripture this morning. They're words from the prophet Isaiah. God spoke through Isaiah. Uh, But when Jesus was there in his hometown church, his hometown temple, he got up and he read those words and he said, I have been anointed um, by the Spirit of God to come with good news for the poor. There was a little miscommunication last week that uh, Renee was going to speak on that first part that's on the front of your bulletin, so I'm going to include that and go on today to the release of the captives. Jesus said, I have come, that captives can be released. Next week, we're going to talk about the blind being made to see, then the oppressed being set free. And on the 26th of August, uh, Terry Smith is going to be here with us from Canadian Baptist Ministries, and he will be speaking on the time of the Lord's favor, having come. And he said it was already on his heart uh, when I asked him, so we expect that God is really speaking into that. And Jesus said it's all being fulfilled right now. Here I am. I am God's promised Messiah here in this place with you. Before we go farther into the teaching, let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for everything this morning. What a wonderful mix of community, baby dedication, one of our youth, DBBS, reading scripture for us. God, we are thankful. We are thankful that you touch our hearts from the youngest to the very not so young. You never leave us, you never forsake us. As we've sung this morning, no fear. Help us not to be afraid. So Lord, I ask now as we come to this time of teaching that you will keep me behind the cross. Anything in my life, Lord, that might be a barrier to you speaking through me, I pray that you will remove that. That God, we, together, might hear you speak to us through the teaching from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The second passage of scripture that Hannah read this morning is entitled, Jesus Heals a Paralyzed Man. They brought their friend to Jesus for healing. So I asked Wayne's permission on this to mention this uh, as I begin. Wayne's wife, Shirley, was paralyzed from multiple sclerosis for some 30 years. Paralyzed from the neck down, and he took care of her. And as I tried to prepare this morning's message, I kept thinking of the two of them. And I was coming face to face with a life situation that I met Shirley, but I will never really, I don't think, be able to understand what they went through and what she went through. And I've, I've read this passage over and over again. I've preached on it in the past. I've never been able to look at it in quite the way I've looked at it this past week. It was hard to find words to bring a teaching on it as I kept thinking of Wayne and Shirley. And I realized how often we go into scripture and we just see names on a page. And we don't realize that when we look at physical and intellectual and emotional and uh, mental and spiritual situations in people's lives, those are real lives. 
We don't realize that they are people in the story of Scripture who lived, but they are also you and I, each one of us, as we sit beside one another, as we worship together, as we serve together, or could be someone that you love. Real life. This is real life. And as I looked at the passage this morning, I also wanted to explain to you, I wish I could do five more teachings on this one passage of Scripture, on this man being healed of paralysis. Because we could talk this morning about being healed physically and the miracles of Jesus that he did, but I've also seen miracles, and I know many of you have. They still go on today. But in Jesus' time, when he walked this earth, not everyone was healed. And today, not everyone is healed, and there's a whole teaching on that. And it still has to come down to the mystery of God, things that we don't understand. Or we could look at this passage this morning, and we could talk about this man's friends. And nothing was going to stop them from getting this man to Jesus for healing. And we could talk about what kind of friends are we? Are we that urgent in making sure that our friends come to know and meet our Lord Jesus Christ? We can look at this passage this morning and talk about what we ask for. What are our prayers? What do we expect from God? What should God be doing in our minds? Number four, we can look at this passage of Scripture and the Pharisees when they said, who does he think he is? And we could ask ourselves this morning, who do we think that Jesus is? And finally, the faith. Jesus saw the faith of his friends, that man's friends, and he healed the man. But does that raise up questions in our mind? Do we have to have a certain amount of faith? How much does that make a difference in Jesus healing us? I got an email on Friday. It says, if you think that you've blown God's plan for your life, rest in this. My beautiful friend, you are not that powerful. <laughs> But that was a great saying. So how much does our faith play? And yes, we have faith. But we have an amazing God who loves us. So five other messages for any of you that do any preaching. There are some tips for you. But for today, over and over and over again, it just kept coming to me and being confirmed for me, this is all about becoming right with God, being right with God. And as I was studying in the commentaries, William Barclay, he used the term, our morbid sense of sin. Our morbid sense of sin. So looking at this event, we've all heard about protesters. Um, we have people who are on strike lines. I've been on a strike line, and they block the entranceways to the, to the workplace. Uh, out west on the pipelines, people even chained to trees because they don't want the environment hurt. And they may not get what they want, but they can't be ignored usually. They cause disruption. They cause distraction. And people end up having to pay attention to them. I often pray in the prayer room before a service, Lord, protect us from disruptions and distractions that would prevent us from worshiping. And Jesus was teaching, and there was disruption and there was distraction from two areas for him that day. Number one, Jesus was in a house, 
And as Hannah read to us, there were some men, and Mark says there were four men along with their friend, and they try to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus to be healed, but they can't get through the crowd. The place is packed. So they go up to the roof, and they take off some tiles, and they lower the man down on a makeshift mattress down into the crowd right in front of where Jesus is teaching. That's distraction. That's the disruption. And the second one was the Pharisees. And this is the first introduction that Luke gives us of Pharisees being there where Jesus was. And Luke says, It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee, in all of Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. It seemed like they were everywhere, and they were not supporters of Jesus' teaching. You see, their job was to teach the people that the kingdom of God was coming, and they really felt it was imminent. It was right around the corner for them. But they had a plan for it. They thought if they could just intensify the observance of religious law, If you could just keep the laws more intensely, obey, do everything right, and if you do, then God will bring favor and blessings, and he will send his Messiah. So we can speed it up by doing everything right, and God will send his Messiah. And when he does, he's also going to send the Messiah to judge the Romans because they were under Roman uh, oppression. They wanted to be liberated in many ways, physically and spiritually. So they were there because if Jesus said anything at all against their theology, they were going to protest, they were going to interrupt, they were going to disrupt what he said. And I know we've all felt the heat and humidity this week, but imagine being in Palestine and being in a house and it's absolutely packed and jammed in with people and the people are spilling out the doors. And then you start to realize that the ceiling is coming in. And if that were us here, we'd be heading for the exits very quickly. But the Palestine homes were uh, flat-roofed. They had just a very slight tilt so that the rain could go off. And it was composed of beams that were laid from wall to wall, but just a short distance between them. And in between the beams, they were closely packed with twigs and compacted together with mortar and then marled over. So there on the roof, four men with a paralyzed man on a makeshift stretcher making a hole in the roof to lower him down. On the one hand, it would be fairly easy, different from our homes. At the same time, they were taking a risk. They could fall. They could drop the man that they were were entering into there. And they were being antisocial, unorthodox. They were being intrusive. Jesus was teaching, and this is for the man that they wanted to get on their side. But they had hope. And I heard on a CD this week, hope defined as divine expectation. And I love that. Our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ is divine expectation. So they had one, one focus to get their friend to Jesus. But we have to wonder about the man on the mat, don't we? What is he thinking? Is he thinking, is this really going to happen? Can Jesus heal me? Would he be willing to heal me? And then comes the surprise. And Jesus throws him a curve. And using Max Licato's words, he says, Jesus leapfrogs over the physical to get to the spiritual. And he surprises them all by looking at the man on the mat and saying, young man, your sins are forgiven. 
And it doesn't take long for that to bring reactions. And this is where William Barclay uses that term, a morbid sense of sin. Sin is not a popular word in our society today. I'm going to say, if you're going to witness to anyone about your faith, don't start by calling people sinners. It's just not going to get them on board. And Graham Cook has said, God is not obsessed with sin in the way that we evangelicals can sometimes be. He's not present past with us. He's dealt with our past when we give our lives to him. He's dealt with our sins. He's present future. He has a plan for us. He wants to walk into the future with us. And sin is not a list of things we've done or not done. Sin is whatever would break the beautiful relationship that God wants with us as we come into his presence. The beautiful relationship, standing in his presence, anything that would mar that, break it, be a barrier, that's what sin is. So where do we find this morbid sense of sin in this event in scripture this morning? First of all, the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law. Verse 21, they say to themselves, who does he think he is? What he has just said is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. You see, they saw sin and suffering together, tied together. Suffering was a consequence of sin. If you were sick, if you were suffering from being blind, from being paralyzed, from leprosy, from depression, from seizures, you had done something wrong. Your sins had caused this to happen to you. And they interpreted that through their minds as they studied the scripture. But Jesus didn't do that. He looked at this man with absolute compassion and with heart. And the Pharisees couldn't relate to that. A morbid sense of sin. I'll take a little rabbit trail here. Before we judge them too harshly, do we ever do that? We wouldn't look at scripture and interpret it that way today. But how many times in our culture do we hear people say, when someone's come into good fortune, oh, you must be living right. God's obviously smiling down on you because you have good fortune. We invite someone to come to church with us, and they say, oh no, if I ever went that to church, after all the time that I haven't been going, the roof would probably fall in. Consequences of what they're doing. Even Father Mulcahy on a rerun of MASH this week was upset and he looked up and he said, somebody up there isn't listening. I've heard Christians say, though, adversity, problems in their lives. And they've said to me, I don't know what I've done wrong. I don't know why God's punishing me. That's a morbid sense of sin. That's not the God that we worship. And what about the man on the mat? We don't know. We don't have his thoughts. But we can assume that he also had a morbid sense of sin, maybe worse than the others. Was he lying there thinking, I'm on this mat for good reason, because I've been told that. I've obviously done something wrong. God is angry at me, so I cannot expect Jesus to heal me. So Jesus had healed that man physically right away. The man probably would never have really accepted that he'd been healed. I'll tell you a story sometime of a woman by the name of Catherine who was completely healed. And it was her back, and she was in a brace. But people kept saying, oh, Catherine, watch your back, watch your back, not realizing the miracle. 
How many times would this man have wakened up in the morning thinking, are my limbs going to move today the way they did yesterday? Am I going to be able to walk today? Would he have had the thought, well, what if I do something wrong? Will the miracle be taken back? Would he try to get to Jesus and somehow pay back the huge debt that he owed? Maybe just by being a great follower of Jesus and doing all kinds of service and working to try to pay back what Jesus had done for him. Would he be ridden by guilt every time on his healthy legs he saw someone else who was still paralyzed? Morbid sense of sin. Well, in our scripture passage, Jesus cuts right through it all, and I love the way Jesus cuts through so much in scripture and in our lives. He shows a different and a better way. He says, young man, your sins are forgiven. And everyone, I'm sure, just took a collective breath and thought, wait, wait a minute, Jesus, that's not the way it's done. God only forgives sins in the temple. And with that, you have to have sacrifices and rituals of cleansing. You have to have festivals. You have to have special food. We have an annual day of atonement for a special day of cleansing of sin. And only the priest, and sometimes only the high priest, can actually pronounce forgiveness after a sacrificial atonement. And here's Jesus in this house, not a temple, not a church, saying, young man, your sins are forgiven. Just by my word. No rituals, no sacrifices. By my authority, your sins are forgiven. You're being made right with God this very moment. And that's the difference between a morbid sense of sin and the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said to the young man, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And we don't read that there was any slow stretching of his legs to see if they're going to work, no creaky joints, no one helping him up. The captive had been released. His body had been healed. His soul had been set free. And he had energy, he had joy, he had strength. He jumped up, he picked up his mat, and he went home praising God. And those are the two words I hope we won't miss this morning. Praising God. He had news. He had good news for everyone that he met. Do we? Do we have good news? You know, for some of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, the good news has become so, so good, so, so news. Not so bad news. And yes, some Christians are on fire. Others just radiate that beautiful peace and inner joy, and they're wonderful to be around. But the good news is meant for each and every one of us to have and to share. The good news is being right with God in relationship with him. It's the most important thing we will ever have, the most important thing we will ever know. Nothing in life can touch that. So let's not miss it. If you haven't accepted him this morning, please don't let another day go by. And if you have, it wasn't a one-time thing way back there that gave you some joy. It's supposed to bring joy into our lives today. And this is where I have to confess to you, do I act like that all the time? Do I walk around with a big smile, no worries, peace? If I tried to say that, even the short time I've been here, many of you know me well enough to know that I don't dare say it. 
And even while I was working on this message, and I came to just about this point in the preparation, and I was trying to focus, but I was being very troubled by something that was happening. And I sent a text to a close friend, and all I said was three words, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. And then I came back to this point in the message, and I was convicted, and the Lord said, oh, really? You're a mess. What are you trying to teach on Sunday morning? Trying to teach about the good news, no morbid sense of sin, the love, the forgiveness of sins, the mercy, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. My text and what I was trying to teach were not com computing your pastor and what it's supposed to be. So it's an ongoing struggle. I share that because each and every one of us struggles with this. And praise God, he doesn't give up on us. Our joy, our peace of being right with God, it's not a behavioral modification. It's not mind over matter. It's not willpower. It's not self-discipline. But it does require us to catch our thoughts sometimes, catch our text messages, think about what we're saying. And it requires us to lift each other up. When that text was received, it should have come back to me, what do you mean you're a mess? Don't you know the Lord's got this? So I take home this morning to the man, his friends, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the whole crowd. To them it was obvious what this man needed. He needed his body healed. However, there was so much more that was obvious to Jesus. So our question this morning for you and for me, what do we think is obvious and should be obvious to God? God, I need this. It's obvious, isn't it? And I've asked you many, many times, when are you going to answer the obvious? Can we hear him say, my son, my daughter, the most important thing is that you are right with me in relationship. A pastor visited a woman who had been very ill. She'd been in bed for months. And as he was getting ready to leave, she said, Pastor, please pray for healing for me. And he said, well, I might. And he said, how's your relationship with the Lord these days? And she said, oh, it's never been better. It's so deep. It's so beautiful. I sense his presence. I'm so close to him. And then he said, are you sure you want to be healed that quickly? And I actually have a friend right now an ongoing illness in her life that's debilitating to her life. And I asked her, how can I pray for you specifically? And I said, I pray for you every morning and pray that God will heal you of this. And she said, I'm processing right now what I want God to do about healing me. And one other question is relief here this morning. What do you think should be obvious Obvious to God about Emmanuel. What do we want to go to him with and say, Lord, it's obvious, this is what this church needs. Please answer this prayer. Is there any chance that God is seeing something else, something more than obvious? Any chance he's saying to you and to me and to us, get right with me. Do that and let me release you. I have a plan for you. Let me release you to be all that you are meant to be. Before we have communion, let's pray. Almighty God, thank you that you see beyond the obvious. We get so caught up 
in what's happening in our lives, what's happening in our church, what we think should be happening, should not be happening. And those are the things that we run to you to talk about and to ask for. God, thank you that you are bigger, you are greater, that you see into the future what we cannot see today. And you have a plan for us. You've promised us that, God, in Scripture, and we pray it back to you. You know the plans that you have for us, not to harm us, but to do wonderful things in our lives. We pray that to you, knowing that that is your promise and that you are faithful. And we thank you this morning. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.